Let's pray. Can we pray for just one second? Let's just pray as we enter into the word. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just, I want to give you the opportunity, God, to be present. We know you're here, God. I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive from you whatever it is that you have in store for us today, God. You and only you know the void, the emptiness of every single individual that walks into this place. I pray, Jesus, that you would be with all of us, that you would meet us right here in this moment and change our lives forever. Lord, we want to be a good investment to you. Whatever you do in us, we would try to do our best forward, God, to advance your kingdom forward, to show peace and light to the world that needs it most. Your gospel is enough. Jesus, help us to carry that joy, that peace, that light that the world so desperately needs. Thank you so much for being so good. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So we, today we continue the sermon series on the promise of a king. Last week we kicked things off when we looked at the desire for Israel to want to have a king. Um, it says that in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4 to 5, uh, they say to Samuel, it says in verse 4, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. They said to him, You are old. That's offensive already. That already got off on the wrong foot. And your sons don't follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. What is so interesting to me is how they finish that statement by saying, appoint a king to us just as the other nations have. You know, that's insane because a lot of times comparison ends up being the beginning of discontentment. And in a lot of ways, this is more true today than it ever has been. We live in a society where we are constantly looking at the next person and what they're doing and in our lows, we open up social media to see people in their highs, and we wonder why we're so depressed. We sit in our couches when we have nothing to do, open up our phones and begin our comparison moment. And when they're at the beach in Tennessee, having the time of their lives, and you're wondering, why is my, my life so bad? Well, where you're sitting in the couch, and you're watching a highlight reel of somebody else, of course you're going to be depressed. However, this doesn't stop us from pursuing this thing. We know that it makes us worse as individuals, but yet we seek it time and time again. Personally, I'm one of those people that I'm fascinated by humanity. I don't know if you're like me or if there's anybody in the room, but I'm a people watcher. Mm -hmm, look, look, all the hands came up. Yeah, that's me too, you know. I'm a people watcher. I'm happy if you put me in a room in a little corner. I want to be the fly in the wall, and there's thousands of people just walking. I love that. I'm so impressed. And one of the things that fascinates me the most about people watching is that not one individual is unique to the next. You learn from each individual, and it's so specific, and they all go about their way and the way they interact to one another. You know, the same is true for the Bible stories that we read. It's just different individuals with different multiple stories that one way or another, they experience a process where they gain and develop in relationship with God, whether good or bad. They somehow had an interaction that made them be who they are or, or, or caused them to, uh, to have an effect in their lives one way or the other. Today, we're going to be talking about the first king of Israel, King Saul, and how a group of people in pursuit of what they wanted 
not really considering what God wanted for them, end up getting this guy named Saul, who at first seemed like a great guy, and then they come to find out it wasn't the king that they were expecting. Saul, as the Bible describes him, is the son of Kish, a wealthy Benjaminite, and known for being tall and handsome. He initially was chosen to be king by God through the prophet Samuel. He was confirmed after a successful battle against the Ammonites. He, his primary action as king was fighting against the Philistines and the Amalekites. This guy was known for this. Initially, Saul was a worshiper. He instructed the Israelites in aspects of correct rituals for worship. He also built altars for God and removed spiritual practitioners from the way. But then he made some mistake. And as a result of him presenting an offering, which should have been the role of the priest, in this case, Samuel, not, not the priest, and disobeying Samuel, he ends up taking the livestock of, of the Amalekites and, and causing later for Saul to die in battle alongside with his son, with God leaving him. And you're like, what else are you going to talk about? You just gave us the whole story. Well, God bless you. Have a good one. See you next week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. You know, the, the tragic story of Saul reminds me that the impact of one life, whether positive or negative, large or small, cannot be fully measured with accuracy until it's, full, it's run its full course. There's, there's, um, we, we have to understand as people that the way you're going to end your life is going to mean a lot more than the way it starts. There's an old pro proverb that says, a tree is best measured when it's down. Okay? And even we see as individuals, we, we, we have to be very aware and, 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 and very careful with the temptation to form early opinions about certain individuals, especially those who are greatly gifted. Because in a lot of ways, we could be mis misled into believing that that person is someone that they aren't because their journey has just probably begun. I want to ask and begin by asking a simple question this morning that may be a little bit difficult of a question is, what do you want to be said on your tombstone? In fact, forget about what you would want. It's getting really morbid in here. I get it. But if you were to, to pass today, what would they write on your tombstone about you? What would it say? What is the highlight of your life personally as an individual? What would it actually say? I'm sure your loved ones will come up with something creative. You know, one of the common questions that you ask at a job interview is, where do you see yourself five years from now? It's a very good understanding because it reveals a future about your mind and the way you think more so than any other daily activity that you could present before me today. It gives you a scope of the mindset of that individual and where they're at on the long run of things, not necessarily that they're great today, you know? Now, Saul in chapter 26, verse 21 of 1 Samuel utters these words about himself, almost giving us a, a statement of what a tombstone would say about him himself. It says this, then Saul confessed, I have sinned. Come back home, my son, 
and I will no longer try to harm you. This is a scenario where he's actually chasing after his son. For you value my life today. I have been a fool and a very, very wrong. Think about that. I have been a fool. How sad. Could you imagine if that's what our tombstones would say? Moises, the fool, you know? Or, or anything. Think, think, think of anything you could think of that, that maybe describes you as an individual, where you're at today, who you are as a person. As I navigate today, I ask myself, could there be someone in the room who's in the position where their next decision, their next position that they take, the next move that they make as individuals in life, the next step you take with your family, could it be the move that moves you away from God or towards God in one way or another, causing you to derail? And what I want us to understand is that when we are faced with this type of position or decision, how we choose to view the truth will make all the difference in the world. Because friends, I don't know if you're like me, but we could probably justify anything in our lives if given the opportunity. We could convince ourselves into anything. You ever met that person that just kind of is way wrong but still finds a way to sound way right and they're looking in the mirror you're right i knew i was right i've been telling you all along but we look at this story and other stories in, in the next few weeks as we look at them and i pray that you first learn about saul then you learn about yourself and finally you catch a glimpse of what your own future looks like as an individual keeping the words of jesus in the forefront of our minds when he says in John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32, he says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I've told you time and time again here throughout the weeks that truth is an important aspect. And have you viewed that in your life personally will change everything about your journey. It is important that we understand that no matter how good we can convince ourselves or one thing or another, that truth remains what it is in our lives so that it can steer us the right direction. Because sometimes it's going to contradict what we want. Many times it'll contradict what we want. A lot of times it'll contradict what we want. But here's how the scriptures introduce Saul. 1 Samuel 9, 1 to 2, it says, There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. And all the ladies said amen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you on a side note, I was telling the staff and stuff like that. I was reading this statistic that says that, you know, 70%, you, if you're a tall person, you have a 70% chance of being more successful in life than short people like me, all right? So listen, I just want to get this out there. I mean, it's harder for us. You know? <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, and, and if you're tempted to think that the next generation is more superficial than the one before us, if you're tempted to think that this generation is more superficial than the one prior to us, here's proof that, that none of that has really changed. For some reason, looks, image, style... It's, it's influence, it's success. Israel wanted a king, and they picked a tall, handsome guy. The one tricky part about it is he wasn't just tall. He wasn't just handsome. 
He was modest. Initially, he showed modesty. In fact, when he's told about being the king of Israel, this is what he says in 1 Samuel 9, 21. He says, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the least important of the, all the families in the tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? Guy was modest. He knew he was the most handsome, the tallest. And he's like, why me? I mean, why would it be me? Now, it doesn't say he had a deep voice, but I know being that tall, <laughs> he would have had a deep voice. Sorry, guys. Listen, if you're new here, well, listen, this, is, it, this will get serious. I promise. Chapter 9 and 10 reveal to us to be, you know, it, it, it gives us this man of discretion and it just kind of paints this picture of this guy that was interested in, in trusting God and a, a, he had a generous spirit and he spoke to God and, and he was energized and inspired and, and really followed God in one way or another. So, so Samuel empowers him in chapter 10 and says, you're going to be the king and you're going to do this. But, and people were extremely happy and they were celebrating. And this was the day. The glory days of Israel had finally arrived. We get to be like the other nations. You know, it, I, I look at this and I think to myself, perfect, perception is one of the most powerful things we have. It is one of those things that could deceive us. It actually says that perfection is reality. Therefore, we should be intentional about our actions. It's like a rule of leadership. Like because perfection is reality, we need to be intentional about our actions. It's insane. Therefore, the best way to have a meaningful framework for our lives personally is to pursue an eternal perspective. There's an eternal perspective about your life that you need to pursue at all costs. Because... The eternal perspective is going to go against the earthly perspective of your life. The one that you convinced yourself. The one that you tell yourself that you're all about. The one that your heart wants and your desires feed into. Because the people celebrated this new handsome king, but God's point of view was that this was a sad day. And as the people celebrated glory days, God was watching a handsome man that was selected over him to be king. And that the people chose for themselves, not considering God. God knew that this was not the beginning of Israel's glory days. It was the disaster of what was coming soon. You know, a, a eternal perspective gives us the level of support we need at times to help us in times like this. It helps us to understand that things are not as pretty as they may seem. That there is a reality to consider. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and nothing will come with it. It is an eternal perspective. Not longer after the burst of glory that Saul experiences in that fine moment, you see his life begin to unravel. And, and he starts to decline. He became a victim of himself, full of pride, impatience, rebellion, jealousy, and even attempted murder. And over a long, painful stretch of years, he becomes this twisted, maniac guy. Pathetic. Eventually causing him to commit suicide as an individual. The first king of Israel. 
he, he starts making these bad decisions, these costly mistakes. And if you've ever read the story, he, he offers sacrifices on behalf of the community, which was not the job of the king to do. He conveyed the Lord's battle plans, which was supposed to be Samuel who did it. He was just impatient, just obsessed with glory. And made a mistake after mistake and just kind of derail. And one thing that stood out to me when reading the life of Saul more than anything is that this guy made the decision of trusting himself at the time or at the point of any crisis in his life. So his default setting was to trust himself every time things got difficult. We're not much different, are we? We all in the room have a default setting when things get crucial in our lives. We have a happy place. There's this idea that when things get so difficult, it says that men actually bring their toys into their closet and play because that's their comfort place. It sounds weird, but that's how we are. We find a way to go to that default setting when things get too complicated. We, we, we bypass the God that got us there in the first place. We tend to have this default setting. Common sense is not our problem, but when it takes the matters into our own hands, that causes a shift in our journey and could derail what God is trying to do in our lives. We serve a God with limitless power, with tons of creativity. Why would we rely on our own resources to win victories that he has promised to walk us through, to win for us, and yet we default? And we go to our happy place, our place of comfort, whatever feels good, what we've done for years, you know? When we think of only terms of our abilities, our strength, our own ingenuity, we invariably rush ahead and forfeit untold joy and blessing from God. You find ways to just kind of tell your life, I got it from here. We shelf Jesus. We accept the gift of salvation, take them on, put them on the shelf. I got it from here. And listen, I know God has given you wisdom. Man, it's good. I can, it's wisdom all over this room. But you still need God. I know that sounds, wow. <laughs> How long did it take you to come up with that? I mean, very, very simple. But it's just a reminder that we, we all need to kind of, you know, he longs to give us more than what we desire. We settle for things that are much smaller than what God had intended. We limit him by anticipating his plans with our own hurry and clumsy solutions. We think we meet some kind of productivity quota with God, but instead he is waiting for us to get out of our way so he could act and do amazing things in our life that he's promised to do. Your life doesn't need more of you. It needs more of God. We don't need more of you. You need more of God. Earthly perspective tells you that you can work more and that you could be more efficient and more effective the more you put into it. But studies have proven that there's zero correlation between hurry and productivity. In fact, once you work a certain number of hours, your productivity plummets. You know what that time frame is? It's 50 hours. Their studies show that after 50 hours of work, you're done. You don't get better. You get worse. And people still walk around and carry this character. Man, I put 60 hours a week this week. I'm busy, busy, busy. 
And I know I sound like a broken record, but guys, we have to understand that our lives don't need more time. They don't need more of us. They need more of God. That is the solution to our circumstances. Pour more of God. You can't have enough of God. There isn't enough of that. You're not going to hit like, oh, I'm full. I'm full, God. That's it. See you tomorrow. No. You want more of that. You want that to burst out. And you may say, Moises, but in my life, it's proven that my work ethic has made me very successful. And while I would agree, Israel, although they were different than other nations, still thought that they would work like other nations and that they would be blessed like other nations and that they would be treated like other nations, completely missing the mark of God in their lives. Sometimes the greatest enemy of our future success is often the success of our past. You're really good at something. I get it. You've been really successful in life. I get it. But that may be the biggest enemy of your future success. Is that you are so good that you have forgotten about God. It's not more of you. It's more of God. Amen? I, I, I always tell the, the, the leadership team here, I'm a learner first and a leader second. Learner first and a leader second. I walk into every circumstance believing that I could learn something from it. I could be walking to talk to little kids and share a Bible story. And I walk into that room and I say, I'm a learner first and a leader second. I'm going to learn something from this experience. I can't carry around leadership forward all the time. I have to learn. Even as a pastor, I have to learn. Every day I'm given the opportunity in every interaction to learn something new. You know how that helps me? It helps me evolve my leadership skill. Now the next year or 10 years from now, I'm not leading with 30-year-old leadership skills that I learned back in the day because I never learn anymore after that. No, I come into it learning new things, knowing that I'm a learner first and a leader second. You know, when a person has come to the place in life when he or she is living on the downslope of pride and arrogance, the roles get blurred responsibilities become meaningless. He or she then assumes command of everything and everyone they're surrounded with, everything, even going so far as to feel noble and righteous in the process. You ever met someone that told themselves a lie so much that they actually believed it? It happens. We could convince ourselves of anything. They could be so wrong, but they've told themselves the same thing over and over and they won't see it. You know, I was always compared to my grandfather. He, he just passed. His name was Dolores. Dolores is a common name in the older Hispanic culture. It's funny. Don't get me wrong. It's funny. You know, what's funny about that is that my dad was going to name Dolores, which would have made Eddie, the firstborn, being named Dolores. So <laughs> that would have been good. Man, I would have loved that. <laughs> but at some point, someone called it out and didn't let my dad cross that threshold. So it didn't quite make it to Eddie. So <laughs> Eddie's praising God back there. Thank you, Lord, that I'm Eddie and not Dolores. Um, but, you know, my grandpa and I didn't get along. We were never, you know, my grandpa was never known by being Dolores. He's actually known by Lolo. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie would have been our Lolo. <laughs> 
So, okay, I need to stop. Let's get to it. But, you know, but my dad, I, so my grandpa and I didn't get along because we were similar. Okay? He, he was, my, my grandfather was a farmer. He, I saw when I was six years old, I remember standing there in a, in a big farm somewhere, and a wild horse came by. And nobody could tame this horse. My grandpa jumps on this thing with no saddle or anything, grabs him by the hair, and the horse takes off running. And I thought, my grandpa's dead. <laughs> my grandpa comes back 30 minutes later or so, and the horse is just like, and he's just like, yeah, it's done. He's, he's good. You know? He did so many things that were so powerful, but we have the same character. So him and I kind of, you know, I was always quick with my words. He was quick with his words, and we just didn't get along a lot. And it would bother me so much when people would tell me, you're just like your grandpa. And I'm like, no, I'm not. The devil is a liar, you know? <laughs> so, but, you know, in that realization, sometimes we, we tend to ignore things that are truthful in our lives, and we don't want to accept them. We fight truth constantly. And we have gotten really creative about convincing ourselves of who we are and who we're not, you know? Social media has allowed us to present a picture of who we are that we're not. People don't fully know who you are. You can present anything. You can put filters in your life, say what you want to say. I could be in a plane and take a picture of me. First class, here we go, you know? You could, you could present a life that doesn't exist. And we're constantly moving away from truth and moving away from truth and moving away from truth, you know? When we read the verse, Jesus said, the truth will set you free. The lies and the explanations create more bondage in your life. You're more suppressed today if you've lived that way because of the lies, because of what you try to convince yourself to be and not to be. I am like my grandfather. And I hope to learn the good things and the bad things. And, and now that he's passed, you know, I've always loved him. But, you know, it was a difficult process. You know, here is what Saul says to Samuel when confronted about making a mistake. He says in 1 Samuel 13, 10 to 12, it says, Just as Saul was finishing the burnt offering that he wasn't supposed to do in the first place, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcomed him. Didn't even say, hey, man, listen. You just got here. Sorry, I just did something. Oh, he just came. Hey, Samuel, welcome. I got us on schedule. And Samuel says, what is this that you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me. And they didn't even, and, and you didn't arrive like you said you would. And the Philistines and are at Michmash and ready for battle. So, so I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us in Gilgal, and, and I haven't even asked for the Lord to help, so I felt compelled to offer burnt offering myself before you came. You see how convincing we could be with one another? We could, we could a mix of rationalization, blame shifting, mischaracterizing people. And we wonder why sometimes our lives are full of confrontation and why we have to constantly fight against a confrontation that never ceases in our life. Because we're not giving God the time and allowing him to work in our lives like he needs to. Although confrontation is usually not pleasant, most of the time is necessary. And whether we like it or not, instead of rejecting and ignoring people who speak into our lives for our best good, our best interests, 
We should find ways to grow in maturity and become more receptive to the warnings and advices that others in our lives who really care about us give us. And I know that's difficult. To put somebody in that category that can speak into our lives, it's a tricky thing, and I get it, but we should still be open to it. Here's what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 13, 13. How foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. And you think that being reprimanded would have caused Saul to say, my bad. I won't do it again. But Saul takes this road and doubles down and doubles down. And he just keeps going and continues to make one mistake after the other. When a person has peaked in life and is now headed downward, they begin to almost overcompensate in life. They get caught up in self-serving activities and become super preoccupied with their image while their obedience to God begins to decline. You know, a lot of us have become kind of addicted to success and winning like Saul. We think that our lives is only measured through the success in the bank account we have and the things that we own and how big our houses are and what we could accomplish in life. We can, we, get, we can become sort of blinded to the reality of life, completely bypassing the purpose of God that he initially intended for you to have, all under the impression of our own skewed earthly perspective. You know, it gets so bad that Samuel goes on from rebuking Saul to actually talking to him. Not because he thought he was going to save the crown. That was already gone. He actually wanted to protect his life and his own sanity. In, verse, in chapter 15, verse 22 to 23, he says, But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offering or sacrifice? And sacrifice or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful, is as sinful as witchcraft. And stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the commands of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. That verse is applicable to us today. There is sometimes stubbornness in our walk, rebellion. And you may say to me, Moises, you're insulting me by comparing me to Saul. I'm not comparing you to Saul fully. But the reality is like we all have these characteristics that we live by in a lot of ways. And you may say, I'm a good person. So was Saul. He was tall, handsome, and modest. Remember, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. You see, because he refused to submit to God, then, then, then became greater, he, he then became greater than God to himself, and, and even after being warned, he refused to repent. I learned two, two timeless principles from Saul here. Number one, how you finish is far more important than how you start. Okay, And the good news, if you're here in this room today, guess what? You're not done yet. You haven't finished. No one graduates from college and says, okay, time to fail now. You don't go, you know, the, the, the bride and the groom don't look at their, at their party and say, hey, enjoy it now because this is only lasting a few years. However, good beginnings don't guarantee a good ending. 
Happy endings are a result of good choices and consistent discipline put in sequence over a lifetime as they are faithfully maintained. Number two, rationalization is disobedience because it refuses to accept the truth. We could preach a whole sermon on that. It has been said that the most destructive lie is the one we tell ourselves. And rationalization is a form of self-delusion. It usually starts small, something innocent, very quickly, quietly. It starts to grow. And in define truth in a convenient way that, that feeds our earthly perspective. In the end, self-deluded minds rationalize everything so conveniently that the person has no concept of how foolish his or her thinking and behavior has become. Friends, no one is immune to this. This is something we all can struggle with. Remember this, that strict obedience is better than good intentions. You want to know if you're ever in doubt of what to do, be obedient and follow the truth. If you're ever like, hmm, what should I do next? Follow the truth and be obedient, strict obedience to God. It's not going to be radical to God. So what can prevent us from this pitfall? Here's a few things that, that I'll say to you as we finish. Number one, remain accountable. Listen to the counsel of other people. If you don't have these people in your life, find them. People that have a good heart for you. Remain accountable. Talk to people. It's tough, man, to tell you my deficiencies, and I've been struggling with this, and I, I, this has been tough for me, and pray for me for this. You know, be accountable with people. You want to know one of the things I'm struggling the most with? Is that I have to share with my son that he's adopted. At five and six years old, you have to share with him the position that he's in. So I have to go up to him and say, Sebastian, your birth process happened this way. And I'm afraid that he's going to stop thinking that I'm his dad. There you go. I'm open. Accountability. We need each other. There's real problems, real needs happening in the room that are alive and well. And we all need to help from one another. Number two, reject pride. Don't defend foolish decisions. Admit fall. For all the married people in the room, say Amen. Admit fall. It's okay. A rationalization fools no one. Doesn't your, your, your partner sometimes look, look silly trying to explain to you? And you're like, listen, I don't want to call you out, but you're going to keep going here? Like, <laughs> Rosie laughs. <laughs> listen, I, I live by this rule. Every excuse I have is valid, but will not give me the results I want. Right? Yes, you were late because of traffic, but you were still late. The excuse is valid. I was sick and I couldn't make it. You're right. Throwing up all night. I get it, but you didn't make it. The excuse is valid, but it won't give you the results you want. Admit fault. Get rid of the pride. In some scenarios, just say, I messed up. It's okay. Let's move on. The next thing is pursue truth, which I've been telling you from the beginning of the sermon. Follow the truth wherever it leads. If you find, you'll find God's blessing in every turn. 
You may be here today and you have already chosen poorly or you have even told yourself and rationalized with yourself and said, I've made decisions. I'm going to use the words of Samuel. Stop, give up, don't rationalize. Give it up. You're fooling no one. I think if you humble yourself and seek the Lord's mercy before God, you would put an end to your rebellion. You will find that, that there is a God who is quick to hear, willing to forgive, and overflowing with grace in your life. I'll share this. Can I share one story with you real quick? You got time? I know you got lunch plans. I know, I know, I know. It was early. Right now it's like brunch. So, you know, God gave me personally the opportunity to build a very successful career while I was, doing, while I was pursuing ministry. He... he Here's what that looked like. I, I, I spent like about 15 years of my, of my life working at a full-time job, anywhere between 40 to 50 hours a week. And, and, and then I would spend about 15 to 20 hours uh, working in ministry with my wife. I would do anything from kids ministry to, I mean, those that have known me for years know that, you know, we, we bought trailers and we were doing, going crazy, doing kids ministries doing crusades. We, I led youth ministry. I would preach at the church, young adult ministry, and I would just be on and on. This happened for years in and years out. I got my credentials when I was 14. I mean, not 14 years old. I had him for 14 years. I was 24 years old when I got my credentials and I was licensed by the Assemblies of God early on and just doing ministry. Never did I ever thought that I was going to end up doing ministry full time. I was the director of purchasing and logistics for a very successful company running a department with about 30 people. And this became so normal to me that I never imagined that God would ever call me into full-time ministry. And even ended up being part of an owner of the company and, and had partnerships that built up. And, and some of my partners looked at me at times and said, listen, I can't pay you for what you're doing. And I said, then let me do it and give me uh, ownership of the company. So I worked three years for a website for free. And every year I was cashing in on these ownerships and building and building and building at the same time while doing ministry. Never did I ever thought that I would end up in a position like this. In October of 2019, I was at a minister's retreat, sitting in a hotel room by myself. We had the baby at the time. Rosie couldn't make it, right? Yes. <laughs> she was looking at me at first. I was like, there's doubt. I feel it. <laughs> so, and, and I'm sitting in that hotel room, and, and for no reason, God says, I'm calling you to full-time ministry. You ready? I'm like, you know? I mean, at this point, Rosie and I are making a really good living. Really good living. And everyone in the room should know, you don't go into full-time ministry to make money, okay? You shouldn't do it with your heart, and you shouldn't do it in fact, because it doesn't happen, okay? And God drops that in my heart. I start to cry in the room, obviously, because you know I cry. So the first thing I do, what do I do? Call Rosie, right? Call my wife. And I'm like, what is she going to say? She's going to freak out. I, you know, we have to make adjustments in our budget. This is going to be crazy. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't have a job offer. You know, it's not like I had a job offer that I was pushing away. No. So I call Rosie. And somehow in my life, every time there's a transition like this, everyone knows but me. So as soon as I pick up the phone, and I guess it's God's way of like, 
I don't know, take me through his journey. My dad knows, everybody knows, right? So I call Rosie, I'm like, hey, babe, I'm sitting here in the hotel room and I, I feel God is calling me to, to, to take on full-time ministry. And she starts crying and says, I know. And I'm like, okay, okay, well, I'm sorry I called you and talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I get back, you know, I, I get back from my trip and I tell my business partners, they're all Christians. One is a Presbyterian elder in Harrisburg. The other one is part of the Morning Star Movement in Fort Mill, South Carolina. And they start to cry in the room. You know, we, we have this moment in the conference room where it's very personal. We've known the, I've known these guys for 10 plus years, you know. We've been doing a lot of things together and we've done, you know, all kinds of stuff. And he, my partner is funny because he tells me, he tells me this thing and he says to me, I feel horrible because I have to play this role in your life knowing that you have to do this. So he puts a counter offer and he says, I hate this, but I feel like I have to do it. And he put together three tier counter offers for me. Guys, it was crazy. He offered me $40,000 cash sign on with an amazing salary. Tier number one, you stay on. Tier number two, you could do this part-time 30 hours a week. And tier number three is the one that I'm just going to throw at you. You could be a consultant and just be involved. I'm not that great. This is all God's grace in my life, okay? I'm not that important. And we go through this, and finally I say, hey, I'm out. I'm, I'm done, I, you know, at the, at the end of the year. And in January of 2020, the COVID year, Rosie and I prepare ourselves for this new season, one that wouldn't be as lucrative, and we took it head on. You may say, why would anyone ever do that? You know, I was licensed with the, the Assemblies of God has three tiers, a certified, a licensed, and an ordained. It's all church ordinance and governance and stuff. You don't need the details of it, but I became licensed at 24. I didn't see any need for me to carry the ordination, so I just carry that license with the Assemblies of God for many years. And I was a licensed minister, so when I come to the church full-time in 2020, I say to myself, it's time to get ordained. I'm a pastor now, I'm full-time. You know, let's do it, you know? Um, it makes you available for regional positions and, you know, national positions and stuff like that. I don't know, you know. So I did it, and then I received my ordination. I took the test, went to the interviews. Everything went well. And when, when I go through the test, I, I tell you this entire story because when the guy is doing the ceremony of my ordination, our, uh, our assistant superintendent of North Carolina, David Crabtree, stands up on stage and says to me, don't ever stoop down to be a king. Preaching this gospel is the highest honor. And that hit home for me like, I mean, I talked to David Crabtree afterwards, and he didn't even remember he said that. But it hit home for me so hard. Moises don't stoop down to be a king. Preaching this gospel is the highest honor. And there is times in our lives, guys, that we're going to have to make decisions personally that, aren't, that are going to go against our earthly perspective. What makes sense? what we think the definition of su success looks like. But we're going to have to hang on to that heavenly perspective to give our soul a true framework in our lives. I'm sorry. I tell Ricky, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to cry. Ricky always makes fun of me on the way home. <laughs> you know, 
I, you, you may be in pursuit this morning of something completely opposite, not necessarily bad, but just completely opposite of the destination that God has for you. I would say like Samuel told Saul, stop, give it up, and drop the rationalization. I want you to, to stand with me today as we pray. Thank you. You know, life is a difficult journey to understand. You're sitting here today and you don't know what tomorrow looks like. You know, I've asked questions where you see yourself five years from now. You may be wondering what this thing looks like in the future, but we see the tragic life of Saul and we think to ourselves, man, could that really be me? I'm just telling you as a warning, it started off really good. And it ended up being really bad. Simply because he took the eyes away from the goal and what God had in store. Listen, there's stories around the room. Personal stories of people that have made decision after decision. One thing I can tell you for sure is that when I decided to quit my job, my wife and I, those businesses and those, those different like uh, consultant fees and stuff, we have made more money since 2020 than we made any time before that. Not because of the church, because that's how God works. Wasn't doing it for that. We adjusted the budget, you remember? It was gonna get crazy. I was sitting there doing the spreadsheet. You know how I am about spreadsheets. <laughs> I was sitting there working on my spreadsheet saying, ooh, it's gonna get tight. And we were convicted. Cause I'm like, man, am I gonna tell my little son like, we went on so many cruises. You should have been here back in the day. It was nice. <laughs> you know? But then I took a full-time position at the church. God is faithful. And all he wants is more of him in your life. How hard could that be? He's creative, all-powerful, capable. And all he's saying is, man, just let me in. Don't replace me for tall and handsome. Don't replace me with what you think your definition of success is. Let me be king. Let me be king over your life. If you're lacking anything today, it's more of him. He will straighten everything out for you. Give yourself the opportunity to be convicted this morning to say, God, take over. You got this, not me. Bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you. You have given us this opportunity to see the life of Saul, God, as the first king of Israel, Lord. But we know, Jesus, you're our, you, you are the king. You're the king today. Lord, and I pray for every single individual in this room that whatever decisions have been made up to this point, if bad, may be forgiven. We pray that your mercy and grace would be upon us as we have been probably difficult in our relationship with you, God. Forgive us. We need your mercy. We need your grace. We need you to cover us, Lord, and help us not to be blinded by an earthly perspective that may be convincing us to do the wrong thing, to make the wrong decision, to not be in sync with you, God. Instead, deposit a heavenly perspective that will change us forever. 
one filled with light and joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we know that your intent for us is the best thing. So help us, God, to embrace that as your people, as your church, so we could do what you have called us to do for what your purpose has been in store for us from the beginning. We want to please you and honor you, Jesus. We thank you for everything you're doing in every life in this room and pray all this in your name, Jesus, that powerful name. Amen. Amen.